1: Hey friends. Um, this is, this is robots. This is a Tom. I'm, I'm out here in the wasteland, uh, doing a little bit of research. You see, um, this, this episode, I'm I'm trying to talk quiet. So, uh, you know, forgive me if I'm not, you know, projecting or enunciating, but, uh, it's been said that there are some, uh, death claws around and I'm doing a, a little bit of research. I'm trying to see, well, you see, the thing is, well, let me know. Let me know if you hear anything. Um, typically you'll we'll know one is approaching by the, by the heavy footsteps. Um, and maybe some of the, the growly noises they make, but, uh, I'm out here in the wasteland right now looking for, uh, remnants of, uh, Jackson's chameleons because rumor has it that, uh, death claws were designed from initially from the chameleons and, um, it's, it's very interesting. I, you know, I think you guys should be aware. What was that? Aware of, um, just the origins of these creatures. And we're going to go into that a little bit more as we go, but I'm out here trying to find a, a specimen. I'm not sure how many more of these are out in the wild and, um, if they exist anywhere outside of, uh, subtropical regions, but, um, you know, I, I live in Florida. Did you hear that? And, uh, I thought maybe I'd be able to find some out here in the, in the wild but um, I haven't found any any yet but just so you know I'll just kind of go into some of the background of these these chameleons they're they're uh, they're the little guys that kind of hang on the trees they've got the three horns on their heads and the, the eyes that look different directions and they can change color they match stuff uh, the generic name um, is Triceros which sounds like Triceratops which is similar because of the three Horns the tri means three horns and The actually three and the keros means Uh three horns And um What was that did you Did you hear something Huh Maybe we should maybe we should move on that's was pretty close um we're back in the uh recording booth back in, in the vault uh, all safe and sound uh this episode welcome to the fallout lorecast uh we're discussing you know the history of the fallout universe and this week if you can't tell we're going to be discussing the death clause one of my favorite enemies in the games And like I mentioned when I was, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't actually find any chameleons out there. Um, I'm not sure that they're around here in Florida, but, uh, but you know, it was worth looking. I figured I might learn a little bit more, but I guess I'll just have to go with the, uh, my research notes. So death claws originated from the chameleon from the specifically Jackson's chameleon. And they were mutated by, the u.s government originally now I don't, i'm not sure if you guys know this but it was originally decided that maybe we could create a a creature and use it in war and the intent was to have something that was fierce and big but also trainable and usable on the battlefield and it seems like There's no indication that these were ever actually rolled out into combat situations pre-Great War, like with uh, China. But there is some more information about how they actually eventually were used. And we're going to dive into that and the different kinds of death claws and uh, some more really interesting stuff. So according to the Gamepedia Uh, wiki, which I normally use for these. Um, there's a, there's a wonderful quote here right at the beginning and it's from Chomps Lewis, uh, about to be proven wrong by the courier (laughs) and Chomps says, you, have you even seen a death claw? They're taller than a man and far, far stronger and faster. And there's a whole pack of them out there. You'd have to be the meanest, toughest and roughest bastard in the wasteland to have any chance against them. And I don't think that's you. Well, I don't know about you guys, but when I played The Courier, I'm pretty sure I was the toughest, meanest, roughest bastard in the way. In fact, I specifically played uh, Fallout New Vegas as a very morally bankrupt character who just took advantage of everything. It's the first time I was able to play a game not in, in like hero mode where I wanted to do the right thing. And I gave it a I gave it a try and my character was pretty dark. And but you know what? I didn't always make the, the mean choices, but. It was worth a shot. So, anyway, back to Death clause. According to this article, it says that Death Claw is a term referring to genetically engineered creatures developed by the United States military to replace humans during close combat search and destroy missions. And it notes here again that it came from originally the Jackson's chameleon which is which is interesting I guess that explains the horns on the head you know it doesn't explain the eyes though the eyes wait look way different than the chameleon eyes in in the death clause that uh, we see in the game. So the background here is that they were engineered before the Great War as a cheap replacement for humans during combat search and destroy missions. The project was successful in creating a ferocious predator capable of surviving on its own in the wild though no references exist to them ever being used against the chinese after the great war death claws escaped into the wild through unknown means and gradually spread throughout the continent initial spread was limited to isolated nests leading some to believe it was just a rumor a tale to scare children with Though the population of Boneyard was keenly aware of their existence, as a single pack mother and her offspring claimed the area between Downey and Norfolk in twenty-one sixty-one, keeping the gun runners in checkmate and terrorizing other communities in the region. A lone Deathclaw was also living near the hub with an unknown number of deathclaws experimented on and refined by the master. Now these are all events that happened in Fallout One, I believe. And um Forgive me if I get any of that wrong. Sometimes there's crossover to Fallout 2. Uh, But one of the things I want to dive into in a future episode is a a, kind of a general recap of both Fallout 1 and Fallout 2. Because I know a lot of you guys haven't actually gone back and played those games or gone back and watched um, playthroughs. Of other people playing those games. And the plots are not that complex. The, the, the general plot is pretty simple. Um, they're, it, whenever you don't know something about something, you always imagine it to be bigger and, and deeper than you you initially think. But um, I'm pretty sure I could sum each of those up in an episode of the show and take you through the, the major points of each. So that's going to be a plan coming up. Um, back to Death Deathclaw's. Their gradual spread throughout the wasteland raised awareness of their existence until they entered common consciousness as a lethal predator, but a myth no longer. As stated above, the Enclave eventually continued the research project started before the Great War. And this is very, very cool. Uh, There's a situation in, I believe it's Fallout 2, where... They are released on the vault. Yes, it's Fallout 2. And they are released into Vault 13, which we had mentioned in the Vault 13 show. And at this point, the Enclave has evolved them into intelligent creatures. These are the first intelligent creatures, like human level, intelligent creatures in the world. And they've been evolved by the enclave continuing along the lines that the U S government was using in order to develop them in the first place. And I don't recall, I'm trying to think back to any of the more recent fallouts from three on, if there's an intelligent death claw, there are intelligent super mutants you come across and there's definitely ghouls that, you know, are not Feral, But I'm trying to think if there's an intelligent death claw. I can't seem to recall any, but if you remember one, please write in and let us know. Um, That would be really interesting. But I'm pretty sure you don't come across any more of these, even in New Vegas. Um, but again, I'm just kind of speculating on that. Uh, what also is interesting about this is that most of the original information about the death clause and their development and the refinement by the enclave and the master comes from fallout one and fallout two, where they were initially, you know, part of the games and fallout one and fallout two take place about a hundred years or more after the, the bombs drop. But in Fallout 76, there are death clause. They have spread as far as that End of the the nation by fall seventy six to Appalachia. Now we come to find out that there is a West Tech facility in Appalachia that has been doing experiments on things like super mutants and stuff. But West Tech wasn't involved specifically with the death clause, as far as I'm as I'm aware. So how they were included in Appalachia, I'm not exactly sure either. How they made it out there? Maybe they spread faster. Uh, than was expected over just twenty some years. I don't know. That's something to dig it dig into in the future. So back to back to death claws again. Uh, their biology. Let's go into the actual biology of the death claws. The death claws are six meters twenty feet long, carnivorous bipedal reptile species designed for maximum lethality. The choice to make them bipedal was natural as bipedalism raises the head, providing a greater field of vision and thus improving the ability to detect targets and resources. Now, remember, these were designed to be military weapons, basically. So evolving them in a direction where they became as fierce and as formidable as possible makes a lot of sense. Also, uh, the upper limbs were also freed by this choice and could be fashioned into extremely dangerous weapons, death the claws themselves. I mean, have you guys found death claw weapons in Fallout 76 yet? I love that. I love adding on that third claw and feeling like, I don't know, like Caveman Wolverine or something. That's pretty great. Uh, The caveat is that the Deathclaw is not as fast as quadrupedal quadrupedal animals. Though this is largely academic concern, the rippling musculature of Deathclaws provided it with superior strength, excellent speed, and incredible resilience in most combat situations. So they gave up some speed in order to be more formidable and more aware of their environments by being able to stand taller. Of course, their strength is magnified by their claws, Owing to their lineage, the death claw has opposable thumbs just like the chameleon, though an additional 2 fingers were coded into the genome for a total of 5 fingers on each palm like a human. Each terminates in a sharp talon that allows the reptile to wound and kill with frightening efficiency. A single swipe is capable of bisecting an arm- unarmored human in seconds. I don't know if you guys remember playing Fallout New Vegas and heading north at the beginning of the game, because you're not supposed to go north. You're supposed to go south. And if you go north too far, you run into the zones of the Death Clause, which are basically this soft barrier between you and moving even further north on the map and kind of skipping ahead in some of the things that you're supposed to come across later in the game. And I remember just seeing if I could make it through there. At, at some point, I was able to sneak through, um, but man, you... In that game, you run across the Death Claws and they just destroyed you. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> bisecting an unarmored human sounds about right. So, it goes on to say the Death Claw's hide is extremely tough, providing excellent defense against blunt and edged weapons. Firearms and energy weapons are reliable tools for killing a Death Claw, though lower powered variants are very likely to have trouble penetrating it. Defense is enhanced by horns and dorsal spikes, making melee combat a very dangerous proposition. The Deathclaw is an apex predator of the finest sort, and the advice for fighting in close quarters would be, don't. However, while they are difficult opponents, their keen senses can be used against them. Loud noises and bright light, such as that emitted by flares, can be used to keep a Deathclaw at bay or even deter its advances. Very cool. Very cool. Interesting. Use flashbangs, I guess, is is the the lesson there. So death claws are pack animals. They tend to have an alpha, an alpha male. The alpha male has a tendency to have a pack and will mate with the uh, primary female, the most, uh, I guess, intimidating and biggest specimen of the female in order to create bigger Offspring and that kind of thing. And death claws, if, as you probably are aware in the games, lay eggs. So from the reptile lineage, they lay eggs, the eggs hatch, they, you know, the baby death claws come out and they grow up on their own. Man, wouldn't that be awesome to have a baby death claw? That would be great as like a pet in Fallout 76 that you can kind of keep around with you and it grows over time. That's such a, I just came up with that idea. That's, <laughs> I think that would be awesome. Um, so, Uh, Juvenile death claws are born with uh, prominent horns or dorsal spikes, which grow as a mature. So they they get bigger and spikier as they grow, but they are are already there. Um, And scientifically, these act as secondary sex characteristics. So that means that they uh, show up and identify them as more male or female. Horns grow forwards on males with larger being the more desirable and grow back and upwards on females. So that's how you can tell when you come across a death claw, if it's a male or a female. Dorsal spikes grow much the same way as horns on males and act much the same way with larger being more desirable. But on females, dorsal spikes do not grow as large as they do on males and tend to be short in comparison. Claws, on the other hand, are present from day one and likely play a role in breaking through the shell. Baby death claws are born with a light brown skin tone and live under the protection of their parents within the pack. The skin darkens as the death claw matures, reaching deep brown upon entering adulthood and eventually dark brown, black or even black and blue for old, experienced death claws. Do you guys recall coming across any black and blue death claws? Um, That sounds familiar to me. So death claws do not actively seek relationships with humans. Um, usually the two species come in into contact by accident. Uh, they tend to be territorial uh, just like we are. And if one ends up in the other's territory, then usually conflict happens. Uh, they're incredibly dangerous, of course, to humans. And, um, even the Brotherhood of Steel Patrols, it says here in the, in the wiki, are known for suffering major casualties as they walk into Deathclaw territory unaware. So, as mentioned before, the Enclave wanted to exploit this and kind of take it further, the way that the U.S. government was developing them. And they specifically modified an FEV viral strain To increase the intelligence of the Death Claws. Now, what they didn't anticipate is that they would be so successful and would create highly intelligent Death Claws that were led by the Death Claw named Gruther, who decided to cohabitate in Vault 13 with the humans. If you go back to that episode, you can listen to how that actually plays out. Now, this This goes to a a Twitter poll that I put out recently. I I was asking the community. I was another one of these fun ideas for future stuff for Fallout games. Imagine expansion to Fallout 76 where you can create a second character and you get to choose something other than human. And you can be a super mutant, a ghoul, a scorched, a mole man. And then the fifth option, which I couldn't add because there weren't five options and I kind of didn't want to give it away until I did this episode anyway, was... The Death Claw, an intelligent death claw. Can you imagine playing as an intelligent death claw? That would be amazing. 20 feet long, I mean bigger than super mutant, big old claws, and intelligent. Now, maybe there's the drawback that you can't actually use things like projectile weapons, but you're fast, you're tough. You can maybe maybe there'd be upgrades for your hide and for the horns and your skin. I think that would be really cool. I, I don't know, Bethesda, if you're if you're listening to these shows, but if you can set up something or modders, you guys, if you could mod in <laughs> something into like Fallout 4 where you can play and maybe there already is, I haven't looked, but maybe that would be great. If you play as a Deathclaw. That would be super, super cool. Now, another little known or, or actually not really little known, but um, interesting fact here that is noted in the wiki is that Deathclaw eggs are known as a delicacy. And I know that some of you guys have done this in games, too. You use them to make omelets and they're highly nourishing and delicious at the same time. So, hmm, Deathclaw eggs. I wonder what those taste like. I guess they're delicious. So let's go into the different kinds of Deathclaws that you can come across in Fallout games. And I'm going to kind of note which of the games these show up in. So baby death claws, like I mentioned earlier, show up in Fallout, Fallout 2, New Vegas, Tactics, and the Brotherhood of Steel. And they're clearly very small, non-threatening, but you know, baby deathclaws and still pretty big. They're about 50% smaller than an adult human. So imagine a baby deathclaw as being like a I don't know. Six year old, eight year old, something like that, running around with gigantic clawed hands, uh, and, you know, big teeth, pointy teeth. And <laughs> I just, that still doesn't sound that non-threatening. Um, young death claws show up in new Vegas and the fallout brother of hood of steel game. And they're considered to be adolescents. They're only about 25% smaller than adults, So, uh, they seem to grow pretty fast. And that, also sounds very threatening now regular death claws show up in all of the main games and the extra subgames. and uh the notes here say that male death claws reach sexual maturity are easily recognized by brown skin prominent fully formed horns and of course their claws they are fast deadly and above all else resilient capable of dispatching nearly any threat with frightening ease. Taking them out requires plenty of preparation and planning. Moreover, male deathclaws tend to congregate and travel in packs as behooves social animals. Lone adults are the exception rather than the rule. And there's a specific instance of a lone deathclaw that happens in Fallout 4 that is one of my favorite memories. As you are exploring the Salem area, and I think it's the Witch Museum, you Come to realize that there is a death claw trapped in the building, and it is big and it is angry. And it definitely took me a few deaths to fight it off at the, the point I was in that game. And that's probably one of my favorite instances of running into a death claw in an unexpected situation. There's definitely some others that come up, like um, the death claw that was being held in there's like a pit area in Fallout 4 where the raiders have it trapped and are using it for like games or uh, throwing. People they captured down into the pit, that sort of thing. That's that was pretty interesting too. Now, beyond just regular death claws, there are other variants like the death claw alpha male, who is a fully mature adult death claws uh, death claw that avoids death at the hands of various wasteland horrors and will mature into an alpha death claw. Horns are longer and curved and thicker than a regular mature adult, and the skin takes on a dark brown black or black hue with age. The brown markings are also visible. Alpha males have siring privileges and are usually found heading entire packs of death claws. then there's the mother death claw, An adult female deathclaws are distinguished by a skin color that mixes olive and blue, horns curving backwards rather than forwards, barbed tails, and a prominent flap of skin roughly where the cloaca is. Um, I pronounced that correctly after stuttering over it for a second. Mother deathclaws, also called matriarchs, exclusively lay clutches sired by the pack's most powerful males, typically the alpha. And then there are... Legendary death claws. Now, these, the only instance of this is in Fallen New Vegas. Found only within the Dead Wind Cavern in the Mojave, the legendary death claw is an alpha male death claw that managed to survive long enough to achieve a size of full 25% larger than a regular adult death claw. So, if a regular adult death claw is about 20 feet, this thing's 25 with massive horns and claws to match this particular specimen is responsible for dispatching a brotherhood of steel paladin who tried to explore the cave mercy or not, they fell to the claws. So, uh, yeah, huge, huge, gigantic creature brotherhood of steel paladin in full power armor wasn't able to hold off this thing. Um, and if you remember playing in the game, I don't specifically have a memory of running into this, but if you do, uh, write in and let me know what it was like, cause if the thing looks formidable, it looks pretty, pretty crazy. Now there are some other variations of death claws that show up in the games. Things like the intelligent death clause that I mentioned before, there are uh, blind death claws in fallout, new Vegas. There are albino death claws in both fallout two and fallout four, which is pretty cool. Um, the Enclave Claws actually show up also in Fallout 3, 4, and Fallout Shelter. And the notes here say that an adult male Deathclaw captured by the Enclave in the Capital Wasteland can be fitted with a domestication unit, a special contraption mounted to the skull of the creature and connected to the brain, giving Enclave personnel the ability to use these ferocious predators like guard dogs. So they're not intelligent, but they are uh manipulated. Death claws controlled in this manner do not consider Enclave personnel a threat, but the Lion's Brotherhood of Steel developed a device that can scramble the control signal and reverse the IFF, making Enclave personnel the only valid targets for the death claw and then detonating the domesticated the domestication unit as a failsafe. Enclave units typically hold death claws in transport cages, a pre-war design released when needed some patrols may choose to field them directly however at the discretion of the commanding officer so very cool uh, i can't imagine like i said having a uh, tiny little baby death claw following you around let alone a big giant death claw um, and also that device going bad and then the thing turning on you that would be crazy now there are some non canon Death Claws in some of the other games like Tactics and Brotherhood of Steel. In Tactics, there's a mammalian death claw. This is a death claw with fur. Um, kind of weird, but who knows? Maybe something like that will show back up in one of the mainline games. You never know. And then in Followhood Brotherhood of Steel, there's an experimental death claw and a chameleon death claw, which show up. The experimental death claw is described as. Uh, developed within the secret vault, the experimental death claw is an offshoot of the regular death claw development program undertaken by Vault Industries. Increased muscle mass and naturally grown exoskeleton with prominent spikes were achieved at the expense of eyesight. Experimental death claw variants include baby death claws, elder death claws, adolescents, and mothers. And then the chameleon death claw, like its name suggests can have active camouflage, which makes sense because maybe those genes are just dormant through the evolution from where the death claw originally came from. So very, very cool stuff. I really like the death clause coming across them in the game is always exciting. And the idea that they could continue to evolve and potentially like I mentioned earlier, come across an intelligent one in the future would be really cool. Now, there's a quote from Scott Campbell about the origins of the Deathclaw idea, and Scott says uh, in this, this wonderful quote, Was it always a big scaly lizard thing? Nope. My initial design for this terrible creature was as the apex predator of the wasteland. I think he got that right. But here's where it was different. A mix of Wolverine and Brown Bear mutated by the FEV, it could survive any environment and feared nothing. A legendary force of nature that struck terror into the hearts of men. Unfortunately, the artist took one look at my concept sketch and said, dude, that's way too much hair. It was true. The Wolverine bear was very furry and there was just no way around it. So here's what happened. The newly formed Black Isle started work on what would be Planescape Torment. And I don't know if you guys played through that game, but that was a classic RPG, too, back in the late 90s. One of the first art pieces was a monstrous creature called a Tarasque. It was sculpted in clay and was then pointed by painstakingly point digitized into, oh, I'm sorry, point by painstakingly point digitized into a 3D model. As Planescape moved forward, it turned out that the terrisk wouldn't actually be featured in its design, leaving that tasty model in disuse. Thus, the furry wolverine bear became a hairless reptilian biped. <laughs> That's pretty great. The um man i love like little nuggets of how games are made and how things can just move from one game to another and it totally fits like it's an iconic creature in the fallout world it totally makes sense and i'm glad that it made it in here and that we didn't have a furry wolverine bear i mean it's cool if we have a furry wolverine bear at some point too but an apex predator with reptilian like qualities that's almost almost like a improved dinosaur really i don't know that hits the right note There, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest, still eager to serve. Are you into the cyberpunk tabletop games or excited for Cyberpunk 2077? Are you looking to brush up on the lore, stay up on all the latest news, and talk about the game when it comes out? Check out the Cyberpunk Lorecast, a show from Robots Radio with me, your host, Robots. We'll go over all the details you need to know about the world characters, and story of Cyberpunk. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play,
0: and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them.
1: Why don't we ask the newcomer? you support the news? So, welcome to the show, everybody. This is your host again, Tom or Robots. I hope you enjoyed the kind of different intro on that one. I keep trying some different things and wanted to see if maybe that was something that you guys would think was kind of fun. Um, you know, I just always wanted to... <laughs> it's weird how it's enjoyable to imagine yourself in terrible situations sometimes, but... Just imagining myself out there in the wild doing some research and then this big old sound starts coming at you from somewhere and you go like, oh no. (laughs) I guess that's the fun of something like even uh, Jurassic Park. So anyway, uh, this week in Fallout, they have released the PvP update and I haven't been able to give it a chance yet. We played a little bit last night. Um, Last night was Tuesday night. I'm, this is Wednesday, and I'm recording on a Wednesday, and Tuesday night I was able to get in with some of you guys and do some adventures, try to get uh, Derek a little bit more leveled up. I still need to get the Nuka-Cola Quantum uh, Power Armor it's, uh, skin. That's what it is. Words. Words falling out of my head. Uh, but I haven't done that yet, so I'm thinking we'll do that next week. Um, I was in the middle of recording a very special episode with the guys from the Lore Seekers podcast for Elder Scrolls uh, Lorecast. And so I didn't get to sign on around 9 o'clock like I normally do. So I was a little bit late and only had about an hour to play last night. So I'm looking forward to doing some more of that definitely next next tuesday uh feel free to jump in join us fallout lorecast twitch.tv slash fallout lorecast if you want to join us on there and if you want to play in game with us we'll be on discord look on the discord channel for uh, updates about the tuesday game night and that's pretty much all i've got there let me know how you guys feel about the pvp mode it seems like they've made some very smart choices but it's still pvp and i know that that doesn't up Appeal to a significant portion of the audience, but it probably appeals a lot to another portion of the audience. So I don't know. I'd be interested to find out. Um, I know that you can bring your regular characters over and switch over to PVP mode with your regular characters, which I have to wonder if that's if that's really the, I don't know, a good idea. I guess it is. I guess it works. It. I think it would be interesting to, I don't know, have some sort of balance or grouping for new characters in PVP. But I guess that's a whole nother can of worms to, uh, to go into. So we'll, we'll leave that for some future debate, I guess, as we see how this, how's this, how this plays out. So uh, in other news, we've been, you guys are still amazing. You're still leaving tons of reviews on this show. It, this just keeps expanding. We, we expanded over 700 followers on Twitter on the Twitter account, and I know not everybody uses Twitter. In fact, the numbers of Twitter users have gone down over the last few years. Uh, but man, you guys—you guys are killing it. Seven hundred followers. It's that's, that's probably more like seven hundred twenty right now. Um, and we've got a bunch of new reviews that I'm just gonna—I'm gonna burn through these reviews. But first, we have our first t- level three tier three patron. Emily G. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for, for, uh, patronizing me. That sounds terrible. Isn't patronizing like a bad thing? I guess it's a good thing in this case, man, words, English words. What do they mean? Um, and Emily wrote me a wonderful note here, uh, specifically saying that she is enjoying, loving the podcast. Thank you so much. Enjoying my perspective on the human and emotional aspects of things. And is very interested in like the granular objective aspects of the lore me too and emily i totally totally want to get deeper and deeper and deeper into these topics Um, the plan for this show is to make sure that we cover all the big kind of broad topics first and then we continue to dive deeper and deeper and deeper that way as people listen to the show they become aware and acclimated of the the bigger picture story and the individual things and places and times so that the deeper, more specific things make more sense in context. So thank you so much for your note. She specifically says here, and I'm I'm going to Emily, I'm going to read what you write here because it's actually very well put. And I would love to get other people's feedback on this as well. Um, but you write out here that I am fascinated with circumstances leading to one specific thing. Fallout 4 is Arthur Maxon and the decision he makes During Blind Betrayal regarding the SS, Soul Survivor, and Dance. Maxon is an interesting and complex character. His past being sent by his mother at a young age to move across the country with lions. His fast rise to leadership. His ability to bring the outsiders back to the Brotherhood. His success in restoring the Brotherhood's values in a chapter with different goals. This all leads up to one of the most powerful interactions in the game. In any game I've known... There are two things that happen in this interaction. One is his insistence that dance cannot exist. He trusted dance more than anyone he's known. There is so much pain in his voice when he says, it's too late for that now. It would be interesting to see a character study because I cannot wrap my mind around his subsequent decision to allow himself to be convinced by the sole survivor who he's known for a brief time to allow dance to live. I've never been comfortable with the contrast between these two decisions that occur in the game conversation. And I was hoping you, with your skill of empathy and ability to highlight the human aspect of characters I often miss, can help me understand this complicated character and the decisions. Please let me know if I can clarify anything about this rambling message. It was not a rambling. I was actually very well stated, Emily. Um, So thank you so much for that. I... I will admit that I did not play through this version of the events in Fallout 4, so I am not specifically aware of that conversation. I mean, I, I'm familiar with the characters and and some of the things that go on, but it would help me to understand if I, if we could pull up a a video or something of some of these uh, events happening in the game. And I could, I could take a look at that and give you some feedback as to uh, my interpretation of that. I'd love to dig in more. So um, I'll do a little bit of digging around, see if I can find anything else. And Emily, if you can find anything and send me a link, Uh, that would be awesome. Um, But thank you so much. And hopefully we'll have some, I'll have some more opinions that I can share on the next episode. Um, I love digging into these conversations and anybody else who might have some feelings about this, please feel free to share in the discord or on the Twitter account And uh, Emily, if you're not already in the discord, you should, you should be in there, but you um, now as a patron have access to the patron only section as well. And some of those guys might actually have thoughts on this as well, because they may have played through that version of the events in, in an event where I didn't. That's one of the things about these games is that they're just so big, you know, sometimes you just don't have the same exact experience with something because you made different decisions. And uh, or maybe you just missed that part of it. i don't I don't remember specifically dealing with this issue. so I, I'd love to see the video on that. I know it would be very difficult to play do a playthrough and get back through to that specific event. so probably have to pull up some YouTube videos on that one. So thank you again, Emily. That's so awesome. Thank you so much for subscribing. and as always, uh, I'd love to talk with you some more about that. So now on to the reviews and the ratings and, um, We have a number of new ones from last week. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight more. And so I'll try to get through these pretty quick. Man, that's even more than last week. And some of these I might have to uh, change a little bit uh, just to uh, just like some of the names. (laughs) Just like like this one, for example, it says uh, Jedi Ninja FUQ, which I'm not going to pronounce because that'll make me put an X, you know, X. What's the word exploit? Exploitive? No, expletive. Expletive. Note exploitive. That's a different word. So, anyway, Jedi Ninja uh, says from Great Britain Love it. Although I, like many others, have lost faith in Bethesda over recent choices they've made, I still love the Fallout universe. This podcast reconnects me to what I love about it, and I realize how much I miss it. Please, Bethesda, learn from the boycott. Many thanks, Tom. So, yeah. And. Uh, t- To that point, I think that they are listening and the most recent updates to Fallout 76 are moving in the right direction. So keep your eye on that. If you're not ready to jump into that game, I totally get it. But keep your eye on what's going on with that. And maybe that will actually start appealing to you more in the future as they continue to roll out more updates. And then we have stupid ninja names, stupid nickname sucks (laughs) from the United States. He writes great podcast. This podcast is fun and interesting for a Fallout fan. Love the format. Thank you so much. Um, then we have uh, the Wanderer. 12321 who writes, You kill it, Tom. You are amazing that this just is up and I like Vault 21, but it's okay. But nothing can beat Vault 111 and Vault 76. Take me home, Country Roads. LOL. Uh, thank you so much, Wanderer, for that one. Um, yes, Take Me Home. And you even put little music notes in here. That's, that's awesome. Then we have... Uh, oh, you, yours your shows up twice, so we only have seven. Sometimes when things get edited, they show up a second time in the review section. Uh, then we have a, uh, another five-star review from Etty, E-T-Y, exclamation mark from Great Britain, who writes... Real talk. I've wanted a vault series like this for so long. You're killing it. Thank you so much. Ryan from Wales. Well, thank you so much, Ryan from Wales. I'm glad you found it and that you are enjoying the show. Then we have Ronan X Z from Canada. Welcome to our northern friends. uh, America's hat Or are we Canada's shoes? Maybe we're Canada's shoes. Uh, Only listening to a few episodes and I'm loving it. I love the Fallout world and I love to hear more and more about it. Keep the episodes coming and you got a loyal listener. Thank you so much, Ronan. I really do appreciate that. And I hope you'll keep tuning in. Then we have a really, really long post, but I, I definitely want to highlight this. And, and I know I'm putting these stuff at the end of the show. So if if you just really want the the lore Nuggets, that stuff's always at the beginning for you. And if you are interested in hearing what some other people say, that's why I put this stuff at the end of the show. So if you're interested in this, that this is actually one of the most interesting reviews that I've ever gotten. So I'm just going to dig into it. Can confirm... Tom is soothing by Adrian in the United States. Adrian Adrian writes, I have ADHD related insomnia and listen to podcasts at night to distract my brain from all the weird random thoughts that keep me awake. It's hard to find the right combination of interesting enough to keep my thoughts from wandering, but not so exciting that it keeps me up. I'm glad that I am both interesting and soothing. Thank you so much for that. I have played all the Fallout games since Fallout 1 except tactics, but nobody played tactics. Most of the most of them multiple times, so I know the lore pretty well, and that allows me to fall asleep listening to this podcast. I don't feel like I have to worry too much about missing out on new information. That's not to say that I haven't learned new things from this podcast, just that it tends to be small details that I missed or maybe forgot. It happens at my age. And that's where Tom slash robots with zeros, awesome, really shines. He has a knack for highlighting those little sparkly bits of story that are easy to overlook. And he also draws out the thematic connections that show up across the whole series. I'm glad you, you noticed that that's, those are some things that, um, mean a lot to me and, and things that really draw my interest. So um, you know, thank you for pointing that out. Those connections can be hard to see when I haven't been inside vault 13 for 20 years. I do admit that sometimes I listen to the second half of an episode the next morning, just so I can hear how robots wraps it all up. I found the lore cast through uh, vault boys, WV, by the way. Yep. Hi to, hi to vault, vault boys, buddies. Um, and love the show with Dave and also the one with Duke from out of the vault. I had to restart that one three nights in a row. The duet of melodic baritones put me right out. Yeah, Duke's got that very nice, low... I mean, talk about soothing voice. That's way more than me. Um, (laughs) But it was so darn interesting that I didn't want to miss anything. If I have any criticism, it's that the sound clips from the games between segments sometimes wake me up. But that's my fault for using it as a sleep aid. Lol. Great work. Keep it up. (laughs) Man, I wonder what it would take to um, put out a, like, ASMR version of the show where I just re-record everything, but I do so in very dulcet tones. And I don't uh, put any clips between the different sections of the show. That'd be pretty funny. All right. Well, thank you so much to everybody. Um, I did get another post in here that was a four-star review and I don't typically read those out on the show, um, with some interesting critiques and I will take those things into consideration. So thank you as always to everybody who writes in and, um, I'm paying attention even when they aren't five-star reviews. So I really appreciate that. If you do want to leave me something direct or do have a specific critique, um, please go ahead and just send it to me at Fallout Lorecast on Twitter or to fallout Lorecast at gmail.com or jump on the discord and send me a note on there. Um, I would love to hear your critiques and anything I can do to improve the show. Uh, but if you want to leave me a five-star review, that is the most awesome way to help out with the growth of the show, along with just telling your friends, tell your friends, Hey, I know you guys like fallout. You should listen to the show too, and then help, helping the show grow that that makes a big difference so thank you so much as always and until next time if you are out in the wild doing research on chameleons just don't just don't do it don't do it man that was that was, that was pretty close i got too close to that death claw and they're out there guys don't just stay in your vault just stay in your vault it's so much safer in your vault just just stay all right be safe i'll see you guys next time for listening to the fallout lorecast all sounds and music are owned by bethesda softworks and no copyright infringement is intended if you have something you'd like to contribute to the show please contact us at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or follow us and post some messages to us on twitter at falloutlorecast and if you'd like to support the show tell a friend or check out the rewards you can get for becoming a patron at patreon.com falloutlorecast
0: I really appreciate you listening and I'd love to hear from you soon.